be in Exodus 34 chapter, I mean, 34 verse 6 today. And um, as you guys know, we've been talking a little bit about, well, we began talking about Christ, who He is, what He's accomplished on the cross for our sake, and how world history is, you know, history is His story as He moves and the nations and countries and civilizations rise and fall and is all for the purposes of growing his church and expanding his kingdom. And a lot of the stuff that we're seeing today happening in the world is the result of that very same thing. God is moving the world forward for his purposes and for the purposes of his kingdom. But we also know that the Bible teaches that we are, you know, we live in this world. We're not of this world, but we live in this world. And that there is a world beyond the world that we see. And then there are battles that are fought in the world beyond that we see that sometimes manifest themselves in the physical world. A lot of the stuff that you see happening in the world today is the result of deeper issues that are spiritual. And the world doesn't see that, but we see that because the scriptures tells us. And so the Apostle Paul, for example, told us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, etc. So beyond the world that you see, beyond the conflicts that you see, lie deeper, more spiritual conflicts that we ourselves don't see and the world itself doesn't see, but they're there, and they're real. And so, a lot of the stuff that we see happening in the world is the result of that. And part of the, um, what I talked about in the last sermon, was that there has been, for many years, many decades, a very strategic plan and insidious attack on the traditional family traditional family, which is defined in scripture as a father, a mother, and children, has been under attack for a very long time, decades now. And that attack has not only happened here, it's spreading across the whole world. We have organizations, agencies, entities, corporations that are pushing very hard certain ideologies and idea that are targeting the traditional family traditional gender roles that are by design given to us as men and women by God. All of these things are now been under attack, and they're all under attack the world over. For example, gender ideology studies are now being pushed into curriculums in Latin America, places like Argentina and Colombia, and even in Puerto Rico. They're pushing all sorts of gender ideology and other ideas that go against what we would call a more traditional family. And so organizations and Christians and people the world over have been fighting this battle in order to save the family. And some of this stuff is getting to the point that it's manifesting itself in conflicts, even military conflicts. Part of the war in Ukraine has to do with this. There are certain civilizations that want to carve out their own space in the world and keep 
some of this Western influence away from them. This is part of the larger, larger battle that we see happening. And I was, uh, I was listening to a very riveting speech by a woman by the name of uh, Georgia Maloney. She gave a speech at something called the World Congress of Families. She's an Italian politician, and it was in Italy that she gave this speech. And she asked this question, and I thought this was very profound. She says, why is the family an enemy? Why is the family so frightening? There's a single answer to all these questions, because it defines us, because it is our identity. And everything that defines us in our day is an enemy to those who no longer want us to have an identity and, and simply be perfect consumer slaves. When you do not have an identity, when you do not have any roots, then you will be, at the, you will be the perfect slave at the mercy of financial speculators, the perfect consumer. That's the human agenda. They want to rob you of your identity, who you are as a man, as a woman, as an Italian, as a Mexican, as whoever you are, and they want to create a mass of nobodies that consume products that they buy with credit cards and financing. That's the human agenda. That's what they're after. That's what Coca-Cola wants and all these other corporations, large corporations the world over. Because when you have families, families create communities. Communities create towns. Towns create regions. And these regions have their own lives, and they limit each other. In the olden days, when you lived in a small town in Puerto Rico, you couldn't just do whatever you want. You had to hide. The neighbor might see you. You don't want the neighbor to see you doing something you shouldn't do. Now I don't care. I don't have a neighbor. I do me. You do you. You no longer belong to a place. You belong to whatever company or corporation sells you the stuff that you buy. See what I mean? Communities break that. And so the agenda is to destroy what makes communities, the human agenda, which is to destroy the family. And to destroy the family, you have to begin with the head of the family, which is the father. And so in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, we read this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God says that he will visit the iniquity of the children, visit the iniquity of the fathers, upon the children. Now, this does not mean that God punishes children for the sins of the father. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18, all souls are mine, the souls that sins, it shall die. 
The iniquity of the father will be upon the father. The iniquity of the child will be upon the child. Everybody will be held accountable by God individually for your own sin. But what it does mean is that patterns of wickedness or sinful behaviors cross onto other generations if they're not stopped. In Exodus chapter 20, you hear something similar. Verse 4, it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. So he's visiting the iniquity of the children because they hate God. They hate God because the fathers didn't. And so the line or the heart of the battle for the family begins with the father. Because that's who's God holding accountable generation after generation. And so what we see today, you know, is an attack on the family, which sadly has largely been one in this culture. The people who want to destroy the family have largely won that battle in the Western world. An example of this is what we see are the results of fatherlessness, and the statistics are unbelievable. Children born to fatherless homes have four times greater risk of living and poverty. They are more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crime, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, twice more likely to drop out of school. Children born in homes that they call man deserts, which is you have a mom, a, an aunt, or a grandmother, are twice at greater risk of infant mortality. 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in fatherless homes, according to the Texas Department of Correction. Seven out of every 10 youth that are housed in state-operated correctional facilities, including detention and residential treatment, come from a fatherless home. 39% of students in the United States, from the first grades to the senior year of high school do not have a father at home. So 40% of kids in school will fall under these statistics. And the number is growing. In a couple of years, it's going to be half. So half of our population is going to meet the statistics that I just read to you before. Children from fatherless homes are twice likely to drop out of school before graduating than children who have a father in their lives. Girls who live in fatherless homes have a 100% higher risk of suffering from obesity than girls who don't have a father present. And teen girls from fatherless homes are also four times more likely to become mothers before the age of 20. So this is a crisis. And the data is showing that we're reaching a threshold that if we don't fix it within this generation, 
we don't know what's going to happen to the next generation. Because we can say to ourselves, I'm good, I'm 40 years old, I'm 45, I'm 50, you know, I'll just retire, get my social security, die, go with Jesus. But what about our children? What about our grandchildren? Are they going to have a church? So why is this happening when you look at it at a spiritual level? Well, the answer is simple. The devil knows how the world works. The devil does not believe in political correctness. The devil does not believe in gender ideology. He knows it's all lies. The devil knows that when God designed the world and he wanted to make the arrangement and how do I set up these human beings in the way that I know in my infinite wisdom is going to maximize their flourishing as a species, here's how I'm going to set up the arrangement. I'm going to make the man the head of the household. And I'm going to make the woman the contributor. I'm going to set him as the head of the human race. And I'm going to design him to fit that purpose. And I'm going to make her to raise children and to be a helper. And I'm going to design her to fit that purpose. And he sends them out into the world. The devil knows that's how the world runs. And he knows that to destroy that, he needs to destroy that gender role and distinctions that we have in families. And he has been successful in the Western world in doing that. And so when the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he tells Timothy, I do not allow a woman to preach or to have authority over a man, he gives him the reason. Nothing to do because you're better or worse or she's worse. It's not because you're smarter and she's not. It's not because of our culture, because we're Greeks and because women might get offended or men might get offended. No, 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 no. He says because Adam was created first and not Eve. He gave him the design of creation. This is why these, this is why I don't want you to do this because it's based on how God designed his world to work. He made man the head of creation. He gave him instructions to, be, to rule and subdue, and he gave him the partner to help him contribute that. So he made him the leader. He made him the head. The serpent knew that. The serpent was not after Eve. The serpent was after Adam. He used Eve to bring down Adam. And when he brought down Adam, he brought down the human race with him. Sin entered the world through Adam. So as go the men, so goes the nation, so goes the society, so goes the family. That's reality. That's gravity. You can deny gravity for a little while. You can defy gravity. You can get on a plane and you fly and you defy gravity. Sooner or later, you're going to have to land the plane or the plane will run out of fuel and it will land itself, but gravity does not go away. Reality does not go away. And so we can deny the fathers are needful, the single moms are great, and I don't 
condemn any woman that unfortunate situation that has to raise children by herself. But we cannot deny the reality that it has been devastated for, devastating for this society, raising children without fathers. Mass shooters. There's an article by a guy named Warren Farrell. He says, he asked the, the question why we see all these mass shooters happen. Because there's two things that mass shooters have in common. Some of them are black, some of them are white, some of them are Asian, some of them are Hispanic. Yet they all have something in common. They're all males, and they all come from fatherless homes. That's the thing they have in common. They're all boys or males, and they all come from fatherless homes. So why is that? Here's what he says. Why we have been blind to two underlying causes of mass shootings. Number one is the boy crisis, and number two, dad deprivation. Until these causes are addressed, we will face the third cause, which is guns. With pain ignored, these boys will communicate their pain as loudly as they can with guns as powerful as they can get. Boys who hurt us are boys who are hurt. The evidence of the boy crisis, in the 63 largest developed nations, boys fall behind girls in almost every academic subject. In school, they too often learn about toxic masculinity, male privilege, and that the future is female. This does not inspire them for their future. Boys are more, far more likely to drop out of high school and college. The unemployment rate of boys who are in high school dropouts is more than 20% in their 20s. In a few years, girls will be graduating from college at twice the rate of boys. Females consider dropouts to be losers. These boys feel vulnerable. Both female relationships and rejection, they fear if they take initiative too quickly, they are sexual harassers, but if they are too cautious, they're wimp. Anger festers. Anger is vulnerability. Anger is vulnerability's mask, yet their anger generates our anger at their anger and our empathy at their vulnerability. Boys' vulnerability in their teenage years and their early 20s is also reflected in their suicide rate. At age nine, boys and girls commit suicide at equal rates, but by their early 20s, suicide rate is almost five times that of girls. That deprivation is the single biggest predictor of suicide. So in 30 years from now, we have no clue what this country is going to look like if this is how our men are doing. And so we have a crisis of boys, which we largely ignore, because they're boys, right? Boys are disposable, so we ignore it. I mean, five times. Boys commit suicide at a five times higher rate than girls. Do you imagine if this situation was reversed? We would have an act of Congress. We would have billions of dollars in funding. Michelle Obama would be on Twitter, hashtag Save Our Girls. We will have an entire campaign happening. Five times. It's a lot of boys. Here's how the Bible, luckily, we have a Bible. Here's how the Bible, I was listening to 
John MacArthur. I don't listen to MacArthur often, but every so often I do because it makes Pastor Bold and happy. That's the only reason. But he pointed out something very interesting to me, that if you go to the book of Proverbs and you begin reading, you begin to see a pattern emerge through the book of Proverbs. So, Chapter 1, verse 8, book of Proverbs. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Verse 21. My son, do not lose sight of these and keep sound words with them. You see a pattern? When God... Rise the book of Proverbs. He begins with who? For the first 10 chapters of the book of Proverbs are directly addressed to sons, to boys. I never saw that. I read the Proverbs a bunch of times. My son, my son, hear your father's teaching. My son, Chapter 4, verse 1, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Verse 10, hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life will be many. Chapter 5, verse 1, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, and incline your ear to my understanding. Verse 7, now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. That's some good advice. <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 1, my son, he keeps on and on and on for the first 10 chapters. God starts with boys. God starts with sons, because sons will be men, and men will be fathers, and fathers will lead the nation. Masculinity, we call it toxic. It's a toxic masculinity nowadays. It's absolutely necessary in a society. Somebody has to get the indoor plumbing going, and the air conditioning, and the roads. Somebody has to suck the oil from the earth and put it in pipelines that go in mountain ranges in Siberia where it's freezing cold and men die to do that and put it in ships to bring it over here so it could be, you know, distributed. You can fill up your gas and drive in a car built by some dudes and roads built by dudes. You can get your house that is built by some dudes. You can charge your phone and live stream about how you don't need men because you're an independent woman on an iPhone made by Steve Jobs. <laughs> it's absolutely necessary. Men protect, they provide, they build, and we need masculinity. Our grandmothers knew this. Our grandmothers knew this. So if we are not training men and 
training our boys and we're sending them out into a culture that is telling them who you are is wrong and how you are not necessary and you are oppressive, then you are cutting the arms of that society and going into the future. Because whether we like it or not, men are going to be the protectors and the providers of the future. I was listening to a lady that says, you can be a strong, independent woman until somebody invades your country. And then you expect the man to go and do the fighting. That is absolutely true. That's God's design. Women nurture. They raise. They love. They provide that nurturing the men don't have. But men provide protect, and fight, and lead. That's the way I, all across the world in all societies, I can go to South America and go to some Indians and they never even heard about Jesus, and I can guarantee you their families are going to look the way that I just described. Because that's reality. And so we are destroying our families, our own peril, we are raising weak men, and weak men are dangerous, and they hurt women and children. Strong men protect and provide women and children. And so the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. First Corinthians 16, 13. I want to read this to you. He says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. You stand firm in the faith. What is it to act like a man? Number one, you're watchful. Number two, you stand firm in the faith. Number three, you're strong. And finally, all that you do, you do in love. You have strength that is fortitude, consistency. You're not all over the place. You're an anchor. Anything falls around you, you stand firm. You have strength. You stand firm in the faith. That's a quality of masculinity, to be strong. When everything is falling apart, somebody's looking for somebody that they can anchor to, that should be you. That's what Paul is saying. That requires fortitude, strength, character, faith. Pastor Bolden says to have faith that whatever happens is what God allows or brings about. And that's what is better than otherwise. That takes faith, right? When things are bad, to believe that this that is happening is God's plan because this is what he saw fit would be better than the other thing. In other words, this suffering, I have to believe by faith, is better for me than if the suffering was not happening. That's faith. That's what we stand on. 
the, uh, one of the most profound things I read, I'm not a fan of Jordan Peterson, but he says some good things. He said one time that uh, he always tells his male students to always be the strongest man in your father's funeral because that's the passing of the torch. See, all your life, if you have a dad that was involved in your life, right, he's always kind of hanging above you, right? There's always that patriarch above you. But once he's gone, that drops down to you. So now you are the person above, at least in your life and with your family. And so you have to be the strongest person because where everything else is falling apart, somebody's looking for an anchor, then let that be you, the person that they can rely on, the person that they know from now on, I can anchor myself to this person now because the torch has been passed down to him as it was passed down to your father and it was passed down to your grandfather. So always be that strongest person. That requires fortitude, character, the things that the Bible, the Apostle Paul says, men are to have, qualities of biblical manhood, fortitude, strength, faith. And so we teach our sons to have that. Because one of the most important things that the church today in this country has to do Train men and boys. It's an important thing. That's what's under attack. And if that goes, what are, who's going to lead the church in the future? And who's going to protect? And who's going to provide? It's God's design. That's what makes societies flourish. Countries that have traditional families, and at the very least, decent masculinity, because there's bad masculinity, let alone biblical masculinity, will overtake nations that don't. Simple as that. You will see that happen. And so we are the threshold of probably the last generation that if we pass this forward, then the future might be lost. Because no family, no country, no family, no nation, no family, no society. And no men, no family. And we already seen the devastating results of fatherlessness. It is devastating. Mass shootings, crime, incarcerations, prisons, rape, teen pregnancy, fatherlessness, fatherlessness. This is secular data. This is not my opinion. I'm not giving you. This is secular data, researched by secular men who probably don't even believe in Jesus. They're showing you the results of disobeying the Bible. So, men, we have a responsibility, which is what makes us, you know what manliness is? It's not strength, right? You know, it's not going into like the, what do you call that? They don't call it the ring. And what do they call it in you? you, you the octagon. Whatever. <laughs> it's not going to an octagon. And, you know, there's dudes that they, I would get whooped in an octagon. What makes a man a man is that he takes 
responsibility Amen. and obligation. That's what makes a man a man. You take responsibility for your actions, for your family, for your children, for what you do. You take responsibilities. That's what makes a man. Men are better. Mark Driscoll, horrible things are said about him, but he was right about one thing. Basically everything he said about men. But one thing he says, men are like trucks. They drive better with a load. You ever... You're in the snow, you drive a truck that is empty, just swerves, and you go into a ditch. You put some load in it, and it stays good, and it drives straight forward. You take responsibility from a man, you have a mess in your hands. A man's responsibility, the wife, the children, and the family, primarily, amongst other things. You take that away, you, then we complain you see men driving into ditches. We gotta give responsibility. Teach our boys to have responsibility so that men can grow up with responsibilities and be men and then take care of their families and their children and at least be there. Because when you're present, all the statistics that I just read to you dwindle and go away. Dwindle and go away. And then you end up with godly women and godly men that are going to the next generation. So this is in the defense of the family. This is a critical battle that we're in, a battle that our parents didn't have to fight because they were born into a world where the family was still there. But this is our battle now. In the defense of the family, which is a, a battle that we have to wage, we have to begin with the men, ourselves, you and me. We have to take responsibility for what our actions are. And like the apostle, you know, the King James, this is what it says. The ESV says, act like men. That's not what the King James says. What the King James says, quit you like men. Men up. That's what Paul says, basically. Men up. So we got to man up to our responsibilities and men and the defense of our families and, in the f and for the sake of our children, our boys and our daughters, because we need to leave something for them. We need to leave something for them. Are they going to have a church? Who are they going to have? More girls are going to college than boys. You know what they teach in college? Gender ideology. Gender studies. Your daughter's secular friends, you know, you got secular friends, some of y'all, but y'all secular friends are about your age. So they still come from a world that has some sort of Christian worldview in it. That's not the friends that your children are going to have. Your secular friends for your children are not going to be people who grew up with a Christian worldview. Our people who grew up with a secular college, woke gender studies, culture worldview. So our kids going to have enough of a fortitude to be able to say, no, that's not how things are when the pressures of the world come in. When your daughters are told masculinity is oppressive and, you know, you know men are useless or the household is not like that, those 
but that's not what the Bible says. Oh, that's an old book written by men for men and the patriarchy. It's going to be your daughter's friends and your boy's friends when they get older. See what I mean? We're not the same people that we used to be. And so we have to leave a legacy for the future that they will be able to withstand all of these things that are coming because we're running out of time. Running out of time. And so, as the Apostle Paul says, I urge you, brothers, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, quit you like men, as the King James says, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Biblical masculinity does everything in love. Not anger. Not anger. Not anger. <laughs> but in love. Right? When your wife tells you to do something and you bang your finger, not anger, just love. Amen. That was for me. Anyways. <laughs> Receive. <laughs> like mm. Wait. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> no. Preaching is for yourself. Okay. Nice. Nice. Nice fix. No. That's nice. All right. Let's pray before we have to pray for. No. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you may help us. Be the man and the women you call us to be, Lord, that you may help us understand your word and live your word, Lord, that you may help us have responsibility for our actions and who we are and what we do, Lord, and that we may be men, primarily men, uh, that follow after you, Lord, that we can be godly, that we can provide for our families, Lord, and that you may help us as a church together to raise our sons to be fathers and men of the future, Lord. Uh, I pray that we may leave a legacy, a godly legacy, Lord, and that there would be a legacy that is strong enough to withstand whatever the culture in the future may throw at our children. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you that you still remain with us all these years down to this day. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.